بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الرجال قوامون على النساء بما فضل الله بعضهم على بعض وبما أنفقوا من أموالهم الصالحات قانتات حافظات للغيب بما حفظ الله واللاتي تخافون نشوزهن فعظوهن وهجروهن في المضاجع واضربوهن فإن أطعنكم فلا تبغوا عليهن سبيلا إن الله كان عليا كبيرا وإن خفتم شقاق بينهما فبعثوا حكما من أهله وحكما من أهلها إن يريد إصلاحا يوفق الله بينهما إن الله كان عليما خبيرا صدق الله العظيم وبيجين في النعيم أبو الله سبحانه وتعالى and uh, there's a few things we want to discuss here today one is the the status of women in Islam, the status that they have in contrast with their status uh, within the Europeans and the Americans and what status they've offered. That's one issue today here. Uh, the second issue is going to be about the difference, the differences between the, the rights that men have over women and women have over men so hukuq zawjiya or the rights of men of, of uh, husbands and wives to begin with in in Europe and in the west a lot of us have heard of the movement of of the of, of feminism and women have for couple of for the last few centuries, a couple of centuries, within Europe and America, they have made movements and even they've gone on hunger strikes, they've, they've lost their lives in this cause in order to get their rights. Now this movement has started mainly around, it started mainly around the growth of the Industrial, industrial Revolution and why it started in Europe and America is that women were seen as the subordinates in the society they did not have equality with men they were living lives where they were struggling with themselves they were, they were the women who would stay at home many of them were deprived of education some of them even just in the early 1900s received education through the state whereas before that they would have, have to struggle for their own education um, they, were, they were going through domestic tyranny where men would oppress them, beat them uh, they, they were denied of political rights of uh, e- equality at work their husbands were the breadwinners and they were the ones who would look after everything of the house um, women, there were no women doctors, there were no women nurses Right up to the 1700s, in Europe, including France and England, women were fighting for, for equality in law. America 
in America with the uh, slave trade and what happened through that whole history that gave rise to women, white women as well as black women who came out to protest against the tyranny that they faced from men in the society. Now with the Industrial Revolution and with, the, with World War One and then with World War Two, men lost a lot of their, their positions because they had to go to war or they had to flee to the cities. Because of this, this created new jobs for women, especially in the war. Women were given men's jobs of uh, looking after machinery and so on, looking after the factories behind them, even supplying for them for the, for the war, actual war. Now, when the war ended, men came back to the cities and now women once again were deprived of the jobs that they could do uh, at one time. So, in Britain there was a male-dominated Victorian society. They, women did not have any right to vote and then you had the whole movement of women as known as the suffrages in Britain, in India, Japan, Indonesia, China, Australia and so on, just to name a few of the countries uh, that had this. Now, many of you might have known about this whole, whole uh, movement, but what I want to focus on is the reasons why. And these were the reasons why this happened. And it was oppression of men that led to women uh, setting up this movement. Now in Islam, Alhamdulillah, we haven't had such a problem. And I will come to that uh, just in a little moment. I just want to just point, pinpoint on just a few more things that, that have taken place within the societies. This is going far beyond now, beyond uh, the Industrial Revolution. In during Roman civilization, women were regarded as slaves. The Greeks considered her as a commodity to be bought and sold. In India, the Hindus up to recently, they've had this custom where when a husband dies, the woman will, will have to die with her husband in the fire and burn together, uh, being cremated with her husband. In pre-Islamic state of Arabia, women were regarded as the very cause of the grief to the society. Therefore, children, girls, little girls were buried alive and that's in the Holy Quran. In France, in 587 uh, Christian era, this was just about the time when, when Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam was, was uh, after he was born, that in France there was a meeting held to study the status of women and to determine whether a woman could truly be considered as a human being or not. Henry VIII in England forbade the reading of the Bible by women and throughout the Middle Ages the Catholic Church treated women as second-class citizens. The universities of Cambridge and Oxford did not give male and female students the same right until 1964. So that's just, just about 40 years ago when there were equal rights in the most renowned universities in this country. Before 1850 women were not counted as citizens in England and English women had no personal rights until 1882. So we're just talking about just over a century that they got their rights. In the US, women couldn't make wills, they couldn't vote, they couldn't get jobs, they couldn't own a property, they had no equal equality in education. Even now, women aren't being, the, being paid the same as men. 
In the early 1900s, women and men in the same company, women were getting 25% of the pay that men were receiving in the same country for the same job for the same hours. Now it's moved up to about 75% but there still is a struggle in the world for women getting their rights. 1972 in the United States of America, the states passed the law for equality of women in jobs. Just in 1972, that's about 30 years ago that this happened. Now in Islam there's been a total different attitude towards women and their rights. And we've got to, we've got to make sure that we when we come across non-Muslims picking on Islamic issues, they say, well, Muslim men are the ones who keep their women at home. They are the ones who beat their wives according to the Quran. We'll come to that later on. Muslim men are the ones who deprive their women of education and so on. When they say this to us, before we become defensive and give our answers from the Quran, from the Sunnah, the first thing we should do is point out all of these things. The first thing we should do is say, well, talk about your own society where, for instance, in America, up till today, there's never been a woman who's, who's been a president. Up till today. In England, there's only one example of that in the government, Margaret Thatcher. And even uh, Queen Elizabeth I, when she came to reign, there was a, it, it was something which they had to abandon religion to get a woman in position and in power. Whereas in, in the Islamic era, though we have a hadith that the Prophet sallallahu has said uh, he, has, for, he has shown disapproval of a woman uh, being head of state, but in our Islamic history we've always had women being judges in courts. We've had in our history women being educationists. We have, we've had in our history Arwa bint Ahmad, who was a governor of Yemen under the Fatimid Khalifa, end of the 5th century and beginning of the 6th century, this was in Yemen. So we've, we've had women in authority, and what, in, what the hadith refers to is an overall uh, woman who's in, who's in authority as a Khalif. That we don't believe that the, that the woman has the role of Imam, that the woman has the role of being in charge of the Khilafah empire. But nevertheless, I just want to go through a few points of Islam, what Islam has given to women as rights. And this came, though the Arabs had a total different way of treating women. Umar radiallahu anhu would become, you know, he, when he was in Medina and he saw how much rights the Prophet was given to, to the women, sometimes he would, he would turn to the women and say, it was only yesterday that you women for a sin, you would be taken on a donkey You'd be placed on a donkey, facing backwards, without your clothes, and made to walk, made to be ridden around the whole city because of the sin that you committed in the society in Makkah. And now you come in Medina, and now you raise your voices in front of the Prophet So the Prophet would tell Umar, again and again, "Da'ahunna ya Umar, leave them alone, O Umar, leave them, O Umar." So the Prophet now was was changing the entire structure of the whole peninsula of, of Arabia, he was changing the whole structure because these men used to beat their women in the Arabian uh, the civilization before Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa just as the Europeans used to do it, just as the Americans used to do it, there was no law for women before uh, our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa came. There was hardly any law found in any country 
before the Prophet came. They used to beat their women, they used to lash them with whips, they used to sometimes, if they wanted to, they would marry up to ten women at a time. There was one Sahabi who had ten women, when the ayahs came down to reduce it to four, and the Prophet then, even then, he stressed on uh, equality with women, and that, that, that Sahabi had to divorce six of them and leave four for his wives. But you can see to what extent these men went to. How they treated women. Women had no say in any uh, position of authority. They could not come to the meetings where men held their meetings, how to run the society. This was pre... Uh, uh, this, this is Arabia before the advent of Muhammad But when he came, look at the rights he gave. Look at the rights he gave to women. She then now had the right to have her own education. Aisha radiallahu anha is regarded as Sab'ah min fuqaha in Medina. She's regarded as the, one of the seven faqis of jurists of Medina. His own beloved wife. After his death, she became the teacher of more than, you could say, thousands of Sahabi men. She was their teacher. She was not only a student of Islam, she was an educationist. She would stay in the Hujrah of the Prophet and she would teach from there. She would teach uh, men a hadith that were, you know, of, of things that, that men could not uh, get from different riwayas, from different men, different traditions, because she, she used to live with the Prophet and she reported more than 2,000 hadith from the Prophet That was just the beginning. If you look at Hafsa radiallahu anha, another wife, of the Prophet she again was another woman uh, of many virtues and she was an educationist she was one who would propagate hadith if you look at um, Aisha radiallahu anha I mean today we've got a problem in certain countries they will not allow women to even drive and look at the Prophet's statement in Bukhari he says khayru nisa'i Quraysh rakibna al-ibl this is in a hadith of Bukhari and Muslim the best of the Qurayshi women are those who have who have ridden camels. They ride camels. They are the best of Qurayshi women. He encouraged women to go to. Uh, he gave them the rights to to, to ride camels. If you look at Aisha radiallahu anha, in a particular time after the Prophet's death, she was leading an army. She was leading an army. Radiallahu anha. This was the beginning of civilization in Islam. This is what Islam really gave. Not what we've turned or what we've seen in our society uh, of, of women. They had, they had the right to have their own independent property. When a woman is married according to all fiqhs, especially according to the Hanafi fiqh, when a woman is married, she can say to her husband, I have the right to have an independent room or at least in the, or an independent property. If the, if the husband cannot provide her with an independent property from, from his own parents, where the parents are living, then he has to at least provide her with an independent room where she has the right, if she wants to, to say that none of your family members will enter this room of mine without my permission. That's totally her right to be independent in that room. And a lot of ulama have stressed that she should have an independent right to have her own house so that she's, she's, you know, she can take her hijab off and so on. So she's, this is in, in Islam and this was after the Prophet ﷺ, uh, he, he became a prophet. 
They have the right to work to earn their own money if they need or want it. Why this is? Because women in Islam don't really have to earn their own money. This is a significant difference in the, in the in evolution in our, in our history of how the whole laws have formed. Because before, before this, every woman had to work and do something for the husband. But the Prophet ﷺ changed this by giving the woman the right to stay at home and the, and the man, in, according to Quran in chapter number 4, verse number 34, and in other, many other places, many other places, the Quran stresses on the man providing for his wife. He is the breadwinner. If she wants, she can stay home and she has a right not to earn. If she earns anything after that, and this is from the Sharia, and this is not from, this is something which might shock some of you, if she earns anything above that, she has the right to have her money for herself and her husband has no right to interfere with her money. This is the plain truth from the Sharia. If you look at any one of the fiqh books, you'll find that Islam has, is the first religion to give a woman the right to have her own property, to have the right to have her own earnings and to keep it for herself. Because the man when he marries her, he's, he's agreeing to a contract, one of the basic rights that he will give to her is an nafaqa. Nafaqa means that he will spend on his wife. He will provide her with her clothes, with her food and with her shelter and it will be all according to his status. If he is, the Quran says, عَلَى الْمُوسِرِ قَدَرُوا وَعَلَى الْمُقْتِرِ قَدَرُوا One who is rich, according to his ability, he will spend. One who is poor, according to his ability, he will spend. And that the woman should accept however her husband is in, in, that, in that right. The Quran has said that both of them are equal in reward. There's another thing in the Quran where it says, مِن ذَكَرٍ أَوْ أُنْثَى مَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِنَ الصَّالِحَاتِ مِن ذَكَرٍ أَوْ أُنْثَى Many places of the Quran, about four or five places of the Quran. The Quran says that whoever does an action of good, whether it's a female or a male, now this, this is a move from what the Christians believe, because the Christians have believed that a woman is sinful because she is the one who, who ate the apple first from the tree in Jannah, and that, therefore she is sinful. And her sin is inherited and therefore she was punished. And because of her punishment she now bears a child. Because of her punishment she has a month, her monthly menses every, uh, every month. That was a punishment from God according to the Bible. But the Quran makes no mention. The Sunnah makes no mention of that. A woman is not punished through this. And a woman's duty is not just to bear children and to uh, look after the children. And thereafter uh, to, to bear certain necessities that are over her. That is not what Islam says. A woman has the right to be uh, an individual in the society just as men. She has the right to participate fully in public life and have their voices heard by those in power. Now this was again another significant move and by late life Umar had changed. Because the Prophet had, had displayed his sunnah in front of him. When Umar became a Khalifa once he was on the member, and he then told uh, men in the, in the khutbah, he said, don't, uh, your women, to the nearest meaning of that, your women do not have the right to have a mahar, 
to have uh, a bribe gift that is very expensive and very dear for men to provide. And a woman in the khutbah stood up. Now some ulama say these are two different riwayas. And some ulama say that this is one riwayah on its own. But nevertheless, the ulama are certain that a woman stood up in the, in the mosque, in khutbah, and she said, O Umar, how dare you say that women cannot have a, a, a mahar or a bride gift that is a dear when Allah says in the Holy Quran in chapter number 4 verse number 20 Allah says if men you decide to change one wife for another and you have previously given a woman a whole hoard of gold a heap of gold don't take it back from them this is the advice from God. So she said to Umar radiallahu anhu that if Allah has mentioned in the Quran that men have provided a particular woman with even a hoard of gold, they shouldn't take it back. How do you then stipulate that a man should not you know, give, uh, give uh, mahab that is too dear for him? So Umar radiallahu anhu there and then in the Jummah khutbah he took back what he said because of this woman. Now women hear their rights and their, vo- their voices were heard of even in the time of Umar radiallahu anhu. They had the right to provisions from the husband for all their needs and much more. We'll come to that a little later. The right to negotiate marriage terms of her choice. Islam is the religion that gave women the right to say no to a marriage and to say yes to a marriage if they, if they will, at their desire. If there's no consent from a woman, there is really no valid nikah. Because uh, as I quoted to you last month, Khansa radiallahu anha according to hadith of Bukhari she came to the Prophet sallallahu and she said that my father has got me married to this man uh, and I don't, I don't like this man so the Prophet sallallahu this is فَكَرِيهَ ذَلِكَ فَأَتَتْ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ فَرَدَّ نِكَاحَ when she said this to the Prophet sallallahu the Prophet sallallahu then annulled her marriage broke her marriage just because her father got her married to this man and she didn't like the man. And this was another significant move that just because that she doesn't like her husband, she can actually, actually go to a judge of an Islamic court and say, just on the basis that she doesn't like her husband in early marriage, she can say that she does not want to stay with her husband. The right to obtain divorce from her husband, even on the grounds that she simply can't stand him, and so on. Now, Islam, before Islam was there, women had never had the right to ask for a divorce. In the Qur'an, the Qur'an has given a new law to mankind of khula. Khula means that the woman can ask for a separation. And if she wants, in certain cases, she can even state down in a marriage contract that she wants to have the right to divorce herself whenever. And if the husband does agree to that, then she has the right to divorce herself according to the conditions that are met in the marriage contract. Now, these, these are some of the things which women have, um, have got. Now, in Islam, I just want to now go on to a few things where Islam is more or less attacked on certain grounds. And I just want to give you a few uh, references from the Quran and Sunnah so that you can defend uh, the Islamic position that we, we hold. In terms of polygamy, now this is a, one of the main 
places where non-Muslims of the West, West will point at Islam and say how does your, your religion allow a man to marry four women and not vice versa and basically it's not fair and it's not equality in rights Polygamy is something which was in Europe right up to the mid-1800s even in Germany there's been polygamy and especially after the World War II women came out to the streets begging the government to allow men to marry more than once now polygamy is basically it's a huk a shari it's a divine law and Allah has created human beings he wouldn't make a law that would be that would be not that wouldn't be necessary just for the sake of it that's not Allah Allah knows human beings he knows the future he has foreknowledge of the future therefore he he he, he has polygamy in the laws of the Quran but polygamy is not something which Allah has put as the azima. Now there's two principles in uh, Islam. One is azima and one is ruqsa. Azima is the real hukm, the real law. And ruqsa is something which then Allah gives you as a choice whether you want to do it or not. For instance, um, to wash one's feet while doing budu is azima. To do masah over uh, the khuf or the leather socks is ruqsa. You have a choice whether you want. But azima, the best hukm is washing your feet and the most reward is given for washing the feet. The same applies when it comes to uh, nikah, when it comes to marriage. Azima, according to Quran in chapter number 4, verse number 3, Allah says that it is best because men might not be just to more than one wife that it is best to stay with one wife and no more than, not more than one wife but Allah does give permission to have more than one wife Allah certainly gives that permission in chapter number 4 verse number 3 it is not something which Allah urges men to do because Allah has placed so many conditions one of the main conditions is Adl to be absolutely fair to one wife and to the other so if you were to buy one a gift you have to buy a gift for the other if you were to spend X amount of nights with one you have to spend the same nights with the other and so on there is no adl or justice in the love that is shared, that is shared but there definitely has to be adl or justice between the women in the way that they are treated and this is very very hard for, for men to do therefore Allah has said if you have the fear that you will not be able to be just with your wives then only one now Allah knew that there's going to be certain situations that, men, that women would uh, have to get married in their numbers to men and that's why for instance after war when there's a decline of men in the society or for instance when a woman is, is barren and the man has to live with that woman or for, for many other um, but which I don't, I don't really want to go into detail here because um, there are the children listening to this but there are other reasons why Allah has allowed polygamy um, in, in the Quran so there is certainly a necessity for this in certain times now when Allah has given permission to, for, to, to man to marry more than one this is under strict rules and a man has to make sure that he meets the requirements of the wives, both of us. So he has to provide both of them with separate accommodations. He has to look after both. And it's a great responsibility. Now I know someone who has been married for several years with more than one wife. 
and I can see that it's, it's not easy for this person, it's, it's quite difficult. But at the same time what I want to say is that one of the reasons why Allah has given this, this, uh, this hukum is because in a traditional Islamic society the, ma- the woman doesn't really have to cook and clean. If she wants to, she can stay away from these basic necessities. Now I need, some ex- need to give me some time for explanation. In a traditional society, the woman doesn't have to carry out these duties. It's her right to say, well, I don't want to clean, I don't want to cook, I don't want to carry out. She even, according to the Qur'an, she has the right to say that I'm not even going to breastfeed the child and I want you to go and get another woman, pay her to breastfeed the child. And this is in the Qur'an, in Surah Al-Baqarah, which is chapter number 2, verse number... 233 that if, if she wants to she can deny but in Islamic history this has hardly ever happened where she's actually said to her husband that I'm not going to even breastfeed the child but to this extent you can see that Islam has given her the rights to, to go this far with her husband but why it is given this right is because in a traditional society men a traditional Islamic society Men in, in those cities, in, in those areas like Kufa, Basra and those Arabian uh, cities, they, they had maids. Some of them had slaves, slave girls. Okay? And even in the hadith you can see that men kept slave girls as well as their own wives. So they could actually sleep with their slave girls just as they, they slept with their own wives. And their slave girls or their maids would carry, carry out the work in the societies. And that's why you have polygamy as another reason. That men had the right to get married to more than one wife and that the second wife might out of her, out of her moral duty, she might look after the husband's necessities while the first wife or the earlier, uh, the, the first, first wife, she might not want to do these things. So the man had a choice of getting married to more than one woman. There were many benefits. Because once, once, once a Habi came to the Prophet ﷺ and said, Ya Rasulullah, you know, I'm in poverty. So the Prophet ﷺ said, get married again. So then he got married again and he came back and said, Yeah, Messenger of Allah, I'm still in poverty and I'm actually worse than I was before. So the Prophet ﷺ said, well, get married again. So he got married to a third one. And he came back and said, Messenger of Allah, it's worse now. Worse than what it was with two wives. So the Prophet ﷺ said, get married again. So then he got married again to a, to, to a fourth wife and this fourth wife was one with intelligence and she then uh, managed the entire house. She got the other three to work as well as herself and then the man became prosperous, he became rich in a few days. He came back to the Prophet and said, well now it's worked. And he could see what the Prophet meant, that women can actually help. But the whole structure of those cities and those countries were different from what we have today. And we have to be clear about this that the Qur'an has stated one thing, if you look at the entire Surah Baqarah um, at the end, near to the end, around the verses 200 onwards you will see that Allah has talked about men and women and how they should live and how they should be with one another and the rights of their children and so on but you find that Allah again and again says Bil Ma'roof, Bil Ma'roof or Ma'roofan He uses the word Ma'roof and the word Ma'roof means conventionally or it means according to your customs, according to your, your uh, accepted ways in your society. And why Allah says this is very, very important is that the Qur'an 
though it was practiced by the Arabs in, the, in early Islam where they married more than one wife and they had maids and slaves, Allah knew that this would not be the case after 1400 years. Now even in the Arab states, it's difficult for Arab men now to get married to more than one wife. Because the whole uh, geo-domestic structure has changed. Domestic uh, social structure has changed. Now you've got more hurriya, you've got more freedom. Now it's not like the past where women actually stayed in their own, out of their own moral duty that they served their husbands on. It's a moral duty. A woman is expected, she's expected that she should look after her husband. And especially in these societies where women are living with husbands, that they both are earning their living just to pay off for their mortgage, for the house and for the right to live and so on. If the woman turns in these societies and says to her husband, well I'm not going to cook, I'm not going to clean, and I'm not going to do these basic duties for you, then the man will be obliged. The man will be obliged to look for an alternative. And it's going to, be a, it's going to turn into a crisis in these societies for, for them to say, well you can't get married to another woman, at the same time, I'm not going to do your basic duties. It's not going to work. One or the other has to be compromised. Either the women have to say, well, I give you permission to get married to, to another wife who will look after all your necessities, or I will look after all your necessities uh, out of my moral duty, and I want you um, to stay with me uh, alone as, as, as a husband with one wife. So, the whole structure was different in those days, how, and how it is today, especially in Britain, it's totally different. And you can't apply rules that are in the Sharia, for men who used to live in societies where there were plenty of slave girls to buy from the market. There were plenty of maids to hire in the society. And they all had more than one wife. Practically they all more or less had more than one wife. And that's how the whole structure was based. And for them to write fiqh according to how it's been written over a thousand years ago was totally understandable. But today you can't really apply everything of that fit to today's society, you have to have certain changes and these are the certain changes that, that I definitely see in, in the Sharia uh, for the people living in Britain and in the West that they, they want to stay uh, with w one husband and one wife, they want to have that kind of life then go ahead but there has to be more moral duties that, that are given to the, the husband and so on. Now why Allah says one man and four, four women are not one woman and four men is because practically it doesn't really work out. It has been practiced before in India, in certain places of India, and it's called polyandry, but it really hasn't been able to progress because the woman is the one, I and mean, you can imagine when she, is, when she has a child to bear what the husbands will do and so on. There's, there's so many difficulties that a woman faces uh, because of her, the way Allah has created her. Not that she's at fault for this, but this is the way Allah has created men and women. Uh, for instance, her, uh, once a month she will not be able to do, carry out the husband's rights. And if she has more than one husband, you can imagine what will happen within her household. Um, how she will be able to control the situation. It's absolutely more improbable for, for, this to, for this to take place. And that's why Allah has given the hukum, the law, one way and not the other. Inheritance. Another part is inheritance where non-Muslims um, take a jab at Muslims and say, well, why is it that the woman gets, a, if, the, if there's inheritance left, there's two boys, there's one boy and two girls left, 
There's three children. There's one of them who's just a boy and two of them girls. Then the inheritance that is divided is that two girls will take quarter and quarter and the, and the boy will take half of the wealth. Now the reason for this, and it's a simple answer, is that Islam says that the men have the right to look after the necessity of the entire family. They have to spend for the wives, they have to spend for the children. When a woman takes that quarter of the wealth, she doesn't have to spend a penny. She can say, well this is all my money. I don't have to spend a penny for the children. Morally she should, okay, but she doesn't really have to. She can't say that. But what I, what I think needs to happen in, in the West especially, where there is an understanding between men and women that they will look after one another and, they don't, and the woman doesn't want to have more than one wife in the house. Morally she should combine her wealth with her husband. And say, and this has been happening for a long time. And Sayyidina, uh, our Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam had divided the duties amongst Ali and Fatima radiallahu anhuma. He told Ali to become to go out and and to earn a living to get to get the daily bread for for the house. And he told Fatima radiallahu anha to look after the necessities of the house. Now, one of the reasons why the Prophet did this is you will find a hadith in Ibn Majah where the Prophet did not want because Fatima radiallahu anha according to her nature she didn't want to have another she didn't want Ali radiallahu anha to have another uh, wife according to her nature and the Prophet saw this so therefore he changed certain laws for both of them where he said well Fatima now you look after the household duties and there were a lot of things which the Prophet expected Fatima and Ali radiallahu anha to, to share and why he did this, whereas his own life was different. Because he came home and he used to mend his own shoes. He used to look after, the, look after his own necessities in the house. He used to do this uh, out of his sunnah because he had more than one wife and so, and so on. It was different for Ali radiallahu anhu and Fatima because he made a statement that he didn't want to see his own daughter hurt by Ali radiallahu anhu marrying another woman and then Ali radiallahu though he had the intention he gave up his intention and only after the, the death of Fatima radiallahu anha did, did he marry several women but during he, while he had Fatima radiallahu anha he did not get married to more than one woman but this was something which she she wanted from her own nature and the Prophet emphasized that and he helped her to, to, to win that now um as I said about the inheritance, because the man's responsibility is to spend and the woman's responsibility is not, therefore Islam gives different shares to women than men. Another one is witnessing in courts. Now the Quran in Surah Baqarah states in, in uh, Surah Baqarah, which is the second chapter of the Holy Quran, verse number, this goes to, the, to one of the uh, longest verses, this is actually the longest verse in the Quran where this is 282 verse number 282 the Quran says when it comes to witnessing in, in the court or for instance for a, for a transaction the Quran says you should have two witnesses to witness this from your men if there are not two men then one man and two women from the witnesses which you are pleased with because one woman might forget so the other one might remind her. Now, West, the West had picked on Islam on this point. Why is it that two witnesses from women is equal to one witness of a man? Recently I came across an article, um, an article from a source, a scientific source, where a professor in German, 
actually went about with a whole test on women and he found, and he, he did tests on the brain I can't remember actually the professor's name but he did tests and found that there is a chance, there's a 40% chance of women uh, 40% less chance of women remembering things than men in, in cases of incidents, in the way they will narrate Okay, this is in particular not to do, this doesn't mean that women are less intelligent than men in no way does it mean that, but it means that when women narrate a story or an incident that they're actually witnessed with their own eyes there's, there's, he's, he's done tests on men and women and found that there's a chance, 40% chance more than men that she, a particular woman, now this could mean it's, one, it's, it's every 4 women out of 10 women so it's not applying to women generally that she might actually f- not remember a certain incident the way she's seen it and that another woman might have to remind her and that's why the woman has stressed uh, that, that's why uh, the Qur'an has stressed that there should be two women to one man when it comes to these reasons another reason uh, is that the Qur'an doesn't want women to come forward and to deal in these cases the Qur'an of Allah subhanahu wa wants to keep women away from these matters therefore he has this discouraged women from coming to the court and, and witnessing and so on. It's just like the masjid where the Prophet says women are allowed to come to the mosques but it's better for them to stay home and there are several hadith for this. He's given them permission to come to the mosque and he's even, even told men don't stop you women from coming to the mosque but at the same time he has said that the best place for a woman for her ibadah, for her worship is her own house. So it's the same way women can come to court and they can witness but it's more preferable that they stay away from these matters and let men deal with this because with crime in society, once you deal with this there are more things that come about uh, as repercussions Um, another one I've I've discussed about the the education you might have seen recently in Afghanistan and so on whatever was there and even in our countries where women are are still to this day deprived of education in Muslim countries this is not Islamic as I've said to you Ibn Asakir rahimahullah who was a muhaddith of hadith he had a thousand, approximately a thousand teachers he traveled from country to country um, transmitting hadith and taking hadith from different teachers of them, 80 of them were women 80 of them were women muhaddithas whom he took hadith of Ibn Hajar Asqalani who is the commentator of Bukhari he's got the most famous commentary on Bukhari which is known as Fathul Bari four of his teachers were women whom he took a lot of hadith from and he actually had them in his sanad in his chain to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. and there were so many women muhaddithas uh, women uh, um, transmitters of hadith and pass on and, uh, women who, who transmitted hadith and who took hadith from men and women in the, after the Prophet life. So this is part of our whole law that women should be educated but this is something which is cultural that is happening. Again with, with women staying at home and not being let out and so on Islam has said that a woman shouldn't leave the house and I will come to this in detail in, in a little while without the permission of her, of her husband she, should, she shouldn't leave the house without the permission of the husband but the husband should not be so strict that he keeps her in the house and this is clearly stated in the fifth books okay moving on from here um, from the rights of women um, just a couple more things I just want to mention before I move on is that if you look in the Quran, a whole surah has been named 
by, by the name of women, Surah An-Nisa, chapter number 4. You have in the Quran, Maryam alayha salam and her status. You have in the Quran, one significant thing which is that there is actually capital punishment for anyone who blames a woman and who accuses, accuses her of something, something which is blasphemous. This is in chapter number uh, 24, verse number 4. Allah says, وَالَّذِينَ يَرْمُونَ الْمُحْسَنَاتِ The men who accuse women who are chaste, women who, who have but their dignity and they haven't done something wrong they accuse her of doing something illegal with other men and then they can't produce four witnesses then lash these men 80 times and never accept another witness from these men ever again and these men are sinners Except those men who repent and then they rectify what they've done, Allah is most forgiving. So here in the first time in the civilization of human history, do you have Allah subhanahu wa giving a law directly in the Quran that if a woman is accused of something which is illegal in the society and men accuse her, what I mean is that, you know, the, the basic things with men and women. If men accuse her and they're, they're unable to provide four, witness, four witnesses, then the men will be lashed. Even if they have three witnesses, even if they have four, but the fourth one backs away, then all three that remain there will, will be lashed, 80 times each. And this is the Quranic hukum uh, of Allah. So you can see how much status Allah has given to women, especially in Islam. The second thing I want to move on to is the Hukuku Zawjiyya The rights of, of men and women um, With regards to marriage, I'm not, I'm not going to go into the actual marriage contract or the guardian or the wali and the wedding festival and the mahar These are specific details, maybe some other time we'll be able to discuss this But the actual Hukuk or the rights of men and women um, Allah, Allah says in the Holy Quran now, one thing I, I have to mention here is that there are two specific eyes in the Quran. It shows two different sides between men and women. One ayah is laysa dhakaruka al-umtha. A male is not the same as a female. That is one ayah of the Quran. This is in Surah Ali Imran, which is the third chapter of the Holy Quran, verse number 36. Another part of the Holy Quran is Surah Baqarah, which is chapter number 2. In verse number 228, Allah says, maruf." The rights that men have over women, in the same way, in the same likeness, women have rights over men. Bil ma'ruf, conventionally. Bil ma'ruf, meaning according to the accepted forms in your society how it would be acceptable to have rights over one another but men have the upper hand over women okay? now I need to give a bit of detail of, of these two specific verses the first ayah that I quoted to you of that men are not the same as women you can see this in the role, roles that they have in life the West has gone so far after this feminist movement that has given women all the rights exactly equal to men that women now can divorce men men can divorce women as they and when they wish women have the status to have, to have any job in any part of the structure the social, social structure and, and it's gone to that extent where you now have women as bank managers women and you know there's nothing wrong with this but what is significantly wrong is that you can't have two kings in one country 
you'll always have corruption if you have two kings or two people in power in one country. The same way, in one house, if you have two people in charge, you, you'll have a conflict. You will never get to a decision. You'll, you'll always end up in a divorce. And the reason why Allah has given men the right to, to, um, to have the divorce in their hands initially is because men, according to psychological studies in America, and this is from reliable sources that men in most cases will have control over their emotions than women. Women are emotional. Allah has created, created, created them for this reason. And I'll give you an example. In their roles of life, you won't see... You know, I, I met some Muslims from Bradford. These are my own colleagues from, from Bradford who we studied together. Yeah, after that they graduated, they opened a, a nursery in Bradford and uh, they tried to run a nursery. These were, these were middle-aged men who tried, to, who tried to run a nursery for a few years. After one and a half years, they had to give the nursery up. And they were frustrated, they couldn't run the nursery. So they turned to other ulama in society, and the other ulama told them that, look, give it up and give it to the women, because they're the best to, to run the nursery. So they gave, it, gave the nursery to the women to control, and Alhamdulillah, it's been running fine since then. And if you look at most nurseries, why women are the most, uh, you know, they, they are accepted in this, in this area of, of work, is because they are more compassionate, and they are the best for that duty. And they will do a better job than men in that duty, because they have more raham in their hearts, they have more justice and uh, more compassion in their hearts for children. They're, the children can drive them crazy all day, and they will still be forgiven, whereas men, You'll see their blood boiling after a little while if they have to be, uh, if they have to stay in that kindergarten all day. But on the other hand, if you look, most uh, manual, heavy duty manual work that is done in our societies, for instance, digging up roads and so on, is done by men. You don't see a group of women going with kangos in their hands and drilling into, into uh, hard ground. Because that's not their nature. Men are more muscular than women in most cases. And Allah has created them different in this sense that in the roles of life, they will be different. In certain things men are better, certain things women are better. But in this second ayah, Allah has given them both rights. And when Allah says man, men have rights over women, women have rights over men, you have to look at this as a scale. You can't have more rights on one side and other rights on the other. You will find, you will see in Islamic Sharia, Allah has given rights to both sides. Like for instance, like the things I've mentioned earlier, the woman doesn't have to cook clean and you know, she has her own money. But at the same time, the man has certain rights. He has the right that he, he will, you know, the woman should obey her. Obedience is given in the, in the hands of man, that the woman should obey him. And someone has to have the control. You can't have two people in a house. That's why in this society, every one marriage in three marriages ends up in a divorce. The minimum in this, in this society is 33% of, of uh, marriages end up in divorce. Why? Because they have total hurriya, total freedom. You can't have this in, in a household. There has to be someone in authority and Allah has given men the authority. Not that the men should abuse their authority, this is another issue on its own, but men have initially been given the authority. Now, just to mention a few things, what the woman gets and what the man gets. The woman has the right to have her bride gift or a mahar. That the man should give her a gift in return of her giving up herself in the contract of marriage. And this is, um, the, the woman also has the right that the man should spend on her. And this is another whole 
part of Sharia, how the man should spend, on what terms the man should spend. But anyway, we'll leave that aside. We'll just basically, I'll quote to you one hadith. A man came to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, مَا حَقُّ الْمَرْأَةِ عَلَى الزوج? He said, what right does a woman have over a man? The Prophet ﷺ said, أَن تُطْعِمَهَا إِذَا تَعِمْتَ That you should feed her when you eat yourself. وَتَكْسُوهَا إِذَا اكْتَسَيْتَ That you should clothe her when you, when you buy clothes for yourself. وَلَا تَضْلِبِ الْوَجْهَ You should never strike her on her face. وَلَا تُقَبِّحْ You should never use abusive uh, language or you should never put her down and, or say something like قَبَّحَ الله That may Allah disgrace you or certain words. وَلَا تَهَجُرْ إِلَّا فِي الْبَيْتِ If he ever comes to the stage that you have to discipline her then, uh, and remove your bedside from her to discipline and I'll come to, to that in a bit. But make sure that it's always in the house and not outside the house. And this is a Sahih Hadith of uh, Bukhari or Muslim. I'm not quite sure which one. The, the woman has the right that her husband should remain with, with her in good companionship. And this is, um, this is from several ayahs from the Quran, from the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. You can see how he remained with his wives. With his wives. The Prophet ﷺ has even stated, uh, so sorry, Abbas of the, Ibn Abbas of the Allah who is, he stated this is an author from him he says إني لا أحب أن أتزين للمرأة كما أحب أن تتزين لي he said I prefer that I should dress up nicely and come in a good uh, appearance appear in a good appearance in front of my, my wife just as I expect her to come in front of me meaning with perfume and good clothes and so on so he, he actually from this ayah his, his tafsir of this eye was that he would dress up properly, he would look after his hair, he would, he would apply perfume to his body, just for his wife, just as he expected his own wife to do the same. They, she has the right that he, the husband should remain with, in a good manner with her throughout the, throughout the staying together. And this is from several ahadiths, I'm just going to quote you a few ahadiths from the Prophet from Sunnah. The Prophet said, Inna lakum min nisa'ikum haqqa wa li nisa'ikum alaykum haqqa. That your women have rights over you, just as you have rights over your women. فَأَمَّا حَقُّكُمْ عَلَى نِسَائِكُمْ As for the rights which you have over your women, فَلَا, فلا يُؤْتِيَنَّ فُرُشَكُمْ مَنْ تَكْرَهُونَ They should not let anyone even sit on your bedside whom you do not want or who you detest. Basically meaning other men and so on. وَلَا يَأْذَنَّ فِي بُيُوتِكُمْ لِمَنْ تَكْرَهُونَ They should not even allow anyone to enter your house whom you do not want. أَلَا وَحَقُّهُنَّ عَلَيْكُمْ But your right, their rights over you is that أَن تُحْسِنُوا إِلَيْهِنَّ فِي كِسْوَتِهِنَّ وَطَعَامِهِنَّ That you should be good to them in terms of how you you, you buy clothes for them and, and you feed them as well. This is a Sahih Hadith in Tirmidhi. Another Hadith is where the Prophet ﷺ again in Tirmidhi from Aisha radiallahu anha, he says, خَيْرُكُمْ خَيْرُكُمْ لِأَهْلِ The best of you is the best to women. وَأَنَا خَيْرُكُمْ لِأَهْلِ And I'm the best to my, to my own family. The word he actually uses is family, not women. But in another Hadith he says, أَكْمَلُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِيمَانًا أَحْسَنُهُمْ خُلُقًا وَخِيَارُكُمْ خِيَارُكُمْ لِنِسَائِهِمْ Both of these Hadiths are from Tijmidhi. The Prophet ﷺ says that the, that the believers of the utmost degree, the, the highest degree of belief that a mu'min and a believer can have is when he has the best characteristics, when he has the best character for others. وَخِيَارُكُمْ خِيَارُكُمْ لِنِسَائِهِمْ And the best of you are the best who are to their, to their own women, to their wives. Um, she also has the right that the, the man should sleep with her and this is the basic necessity of, of marriage. Once Umar radiallahu anhu, now look at the rights again of women 
provided by the Islamic Sharia. Once Umar radiallahu anhu, he passed by a house, I mean the night times he would go around the streets and just to see that things are okay in the society. He passed by this particular house and from this house he heard a poem and, and the woman during his reign was saying this poem, poem she said, um, uh, that this night has become very long and, and the, the ends of this night are darker than anything else um, she, she said that why her, her words were that that I haven't this night is so long and so dark because I don't have anyone besides me to play with meaning a, a friend of hers لَوْلَا اللَّهِ وَالْحَيَا if it wasn't for Wallahi Laula Khashitullahi Walhaya, she said, by Allah, if it wasn't for the fear of Allah in my heart and for for the shame and embarrassment that I would suffer, Lahurika minhada salili jawanibu, then from the side this whole bed would shake with, with, with another man. Now she made this woman that Umar marked her house. He then went straight away the next day to his own daughter Hassa and he said, Oh Hassa I've, I've, he said, what is the longest period that a woman can stay away from her husband? And she said, you, the likeness of you is asking his own daughter such a question. And he said, if it wasn't for this incident, I would never ask you. So she said, five to six months, she, she gave a rough idea. So then Umar radiallahu anhu, after consulting others as well, he made, it, he made a new law that no mujahid or no person going into jihad, jihad should spend more than six months, one month for going out, one month for coming back, and four months for staying in jihad. The, the maximum period he, he stated down was six months, and that he should come back to, the, to his own wife, because she has a right to see him. So this is an, again another uh, place where men who leave their wives for a long time and go for business abroad, they should take this in consideration that a woman is a human being at the end of the day and a man doesn't, I mean she can give her right away and say okay I, I will allow you to go for a whole year abroad and to earn money, she can do that but it's not the best thing for, for a man and for his wife to do this, that they stay apart from one another for a long period of time um, to go to now to, to the rights that men have over women Allah has the first thing, the Prophet has stated down is that men have men sh- women should uh, be obedient to their to their husbands. The Prophet has stated in the Hadith of Tirmidhi, "لو كنت أمرا أحدا أن يسجد لأحد لأمرت المرأة أن يسجد لزوجها أو كما قال عليه الصلاة والسلام." The Hadith of Tirmidhi. The Prophet says, "If I gave permission to anyone to uh, marry, uh, if I gave permission to anyone to do sajda or to bow down to anyone else." then I would have given permission to, for a woman to bow down to her husband. Another hadith of Prophet says, Hadith again of Tirmidhi. Any woman who dies and her husband is pleased with her, then she will enter paradise straight away. Another hadith of Prophet says, When a man calls his wife to come to his side, uh, to his bedside, then she should come if she disobeys. فَإِنْ أَبَتْ If she disobeys لَعَنَتْهَ الْمَلَائِكَةِ Then the angels will curse her until the morning. Now this hadith again is, is his right that she should come to his, to his side. But a husband should not really go to the extent that he uses these hadith just to enslave her in the house. 
a woman shouldn't, just as a woman is expected that she shouldn't say, well, my money is my money, you, know, you get your own money wherever you are getting from. Just as it's a moral duty, again, that she should spend from her own money and they should share their wealth. Again, from the husband's side, if he wants to, he can be strict and he can say, well, you can't go out of the house. And the only place uh, she can actually go without his permission then is to her own parents if they become sick. If they become ill, the Hanafi Madhav says that the only uh, time she can leave the house without permission is then. But the husband shouldn't be that strict. He should let her, you know, freedom is something which people, you know, a husband should apply to his wife and a wife should apply to the husband and they both should base their own uh, marriage on trust between themselves and not to um, be harsh on one another. Once you see either a man becomes harsh with his uh, wife or a wife becomes harsh with her husband in any terms, that's when you see things breaking up. It normally starts from one or for the, uh, with the other. If it does start, I will come to that in a bit of what, what should, should take place. The wife also, when she leaves the house, she should cover herself. The wife, when she leaves the house, the Prophet ﷺ has said, according to hadith of Hakim from Musa radiallahu anhu, he says that the Prophet ﷺ said, A woman who leaves the house and she has applied perfume to her body so that other men might, might um, smell this perfume and find her fragrance then she is a zani, she is an adulterer if she does this. Meaning that obviously she will be calling to adultery if she does this. So her perfume even should be applied to herself, or her zina, her basic ornaments and things like that should be displayed for her husband only, and not for other men. And this is a beautiful system in Islam, where, you know, in Islam you don't even have any contact with a man, any contact with a man and a woman, who are not married to one another, who are not mahram to one another. It's a beautiful thing, because the woman is preserved in Islam. The woman is definitely preserved. I remember one of my teachers telling me once that he came across this Christian who said to him, look at your women, you keep them in their homes, you don't let them come out, they have to cook and clean for you, when they come out they have to cover themselves, look how horrible this is, look at our women, they, they have freedom to go out. And my, my teacher, he said to uh, this, this Christian, he said, you know there's a difference between your women and our women? There's a slight difference. So what's the difference? He said, you know the difference between stones? You have a normal stone and you have a precious stone. The one that is a normal stone found on the streets, you don't mind if it drops on the, on the road, you don't mind if it's in the rain, you don't mind if someone comes and kicks that stone to this wall and kicks it to the, to the roadside. But you know when you have a precious stone, you preserve it, you put it in a safe, you look after it, you don't want anyone to touch it other than your own permission, you be very careful in how you deal with that precious stone. He said, that's the difference between your women and our women. Your women, you've given them so many rights that they've turned into stones on the roads. You know, one man comes here and he kicks her one, the other one comes and does whatever he wants from another side and you got no, no, uh, you know, haya, no modesty inside you, whereas our women, we preserve them. This is the whole thing of, of Islam, when, when a woman gets married, she's known in the Qur'an as Muhsana. She's known as one who is now chaste. She's got chastity and she's shown her chastity through her marriage. And that she wears her veil to show uh, men in the society that, look, I'm not a normal woman in the society. Traditionally in Islam you had, um, you had slave girls and you had Ahrara, you had uh, um, women who were free. And Umar who prevented the slave girls in the society to wear the hijab. Because, just, just to show the distinction between the, the women in the society, I mean this was something which is in his, obviously in his own society which he could do, there was not much fitna and so on. But he even prevented him from doing that, whereas the 
he, he told the women, and obviously women had to wear their hijabs, who were free women in the society. So, my teacher gave this answer and said, look, this is the difference between our women and your women. And you see the case, where these women who go out, who dress how they want, who wear perfume, and, and they, they go to places without their husband's permission, you find that in this society, what, what, what happens? I mean, with a lot of Muslim families now, it's really sad. A lot of Muslim families who, who have adopted the Western lifestyle is that the woman has a boyfriend besides her husband and the husband they, they have plenty of girlfriends besides their own wife and what happens after that? You have uh, marriage breakings, you have divorces, you have arguments, you have beating of women and so on. All of this crime, you have rape in the society, all of these crimes are a result, direct result of not following the divine laws. The divine law is, is simple. You, Allah has created nature in man for a woman, that he has a desire for a woman. Allah has created within a woman a desire for men. That's fine. He has created that. But then there should be maharim in between, there should be relatives who come in between when they get together. When they do get together, they create a boundary outside themselves. It's like a trust. When a man gets together with a woman and a woman with a man, it's like a trust. Like both of us now have entered this boundary now, that I will never see another woman besides you in the wrong way and you will do the same for me that you will look after my my own desires and wants and necessities and this was a mutual understanding between them and always has remained and wherever you have this adopted Islamically in, in societies and in families Alhamdulillah there is a lot of goodness that comes out look at our history we are proud of our history as Muslims that we haven't got the same amount of rapes the same amount of, of crimes as in their society and we should point out to these things first um, if, if we ever come to that, that situation. Okay, another thing which, which the man has a right over the woman is that amana, that she should, she should uh, look after his wealth and his belongings and his children, should nurture them correctly uh, in his absence. And nurturing children is a shared, it's a shared responsibility between husband and wife. It's not just the wife's duty to do this. And um, inshallah we'll come to this in the next lecture. Another part and, and a significant ayah that I have to mention, which is the first ayah that I read to you in the beginning of the uh, actual lecture, is uh, uh, chapter number 4, verse number 34. That Allah has made the men, uh, He has made them people who preserve their women, because of certain uh, preferences that Allah has given man over, over women, وَبِمَا أَنْفَقُوا مِنْ أَمْوَالِهِمْ and because of the, the, the wealth that they spend over the women. Those women that are righteous, they're obedient, they, they look after their husbands' rights behind their backs. These are the women whom Allah praises in the Quran. But then Allah says, If you have women whom you fear that they are doing nushuz, now nushuz means that they are deliberately or they are becoming, you know, they are going beyond the boundaries that they are either using abusive language or they don't want to come near your side when you call them to your side and so on. Okay, there's, there's a lot of tafsir in this nushuz. But if you fear this, then there are four stages. First stage is ta'idhuhunna. Give them advice. Continue to give them advice. Second stage is, if after the advice of this they don't listen, and advice is not just once, it's plenty of times, and every case is different. Please remember this. Every marriage case is different. Every individual or two individuals are different. To what extent you have to go to advise your, your wife, this is left to you to decide. 
And the best thing to do is to take, if you are not sure, then take advice from a person who is hadiq, a person who has got, who understands a lot about, you know, uh, personalities and so on, to actually take advice from them, especially an imam or someone. After this, if they do not um, listen to you and if, that, if they do not obey you, then the second stage is that you should separate your bedsides from theirs. This is just to show, again, it's to show that you're upset with them. Not to hit them, not to do anything, not to swear at them, not to jerk, not to abuse them or anything. The Quran says just separate your bedsides, showing that you're not pleased with them. And if this still doesn't work, then the third stage, Allah uses the word darb. Now, in a lot of translations, the word darb has been translated as hitting. That you may hit your wives. The Prophet ﷺ, when he was in Medina, men, as I said to you in the beginning, they used to beat their wives, they used to lash their wives. The Prophet ﷺ wanted to put a total end to this. And this is one of the reasons why Aisha radiallahu anha says, if you look at his own sunnah, you'll see that he's never ever hit a woman in his life. She says, according to Hadith al-Nasai, she says, مَا ضَرَبَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ إِمْرَأَةً The Prophet has never, never hit a wife of his, or woman, wala khadiman, never a slave he has hit, or a servant, wala darba biyadihi shay'an, he's never even striked his hand at anything, ever in his life, illa fi sabirillah, except in the path of Allah, when he would go in jihad, aw tantakiha maharimullah, or if the laws of Allah were disregarded, and the Prophet ﷺ had to take revenge on behalf of Allah, that's when the Prophet ﷺ would lift his hand, otherwise he never lifted his hand. The Prophet in Medina gave a different way of treating women. He said to them, he encouraged them again and again. He said, The best of you will never hit. And all the other hadith that I quoted to you before about how men should, should treat their, their wives. The Prophet gave a very pure life. How men, he wanted to change the way they treated their wives. He wanted to change the whole structure. So again and again he would, he would try and reconcile or he would come in between and tell men how they should treat. To the extent that he said, I mean they used to beat their wives, leave bruises and so on before they were Muslims. The Prophet ﷺ said, he, gave, he, he restricted them one, one thing after another. First thing he said, وَلَا تَضْرِبِ الْوَجْ You can never hit the face. Another hadith of Ahmad, the Prophet ﷺ said, غَيْرَ مُبَرَّحِينَ It should not be a hitting that would leave any mark or bruise behind. Another hadith of the Prophet ﷺ said, غَيْرَ مُخَوِّثِينَ um, You should not use a kind of hitting that you would scare your wives, not even to scare them. The Prophet ﷺ in another hadith, he says, فَإِنْ كَانَ لَا مِنْ If you really have to hit them, then you, you, you will use a siwak. Miswak, which is the size of, the size of a toothbrush. I mean, it would be ridiculous for a man to pick up a toothbrush, okay, or the size of a, some that size of a toothbrush, and to beat his wife with a toothbrush. Can you imagine seeing a man who trying to use a toothbrush, trying to beat his wife, and the Prophet will try to put them off. That this is not the way of civilization, this is not the way to go on. So then what does this word here, wadribu hunna, mean? If you look in the Arabic dictionary, you will find that the word darb has more, he has, has up to 18 meanings. Here it means that you should get tough with them. In whatever way, you should get tough with them. In your anger, the main thing is anger. Where the Prophet ﷺ would be so, we were so upset once, I quoted to you a few months back, that he left his wives for a whole month. Up to a whole month. He didn't, he didn't have any contact with them, he didn't talk to them for one month. This was his form 
of separating his bad side and showing that meaning he took it to an extent where now he's getting very serious. He never lifted his hand, he never said a word to them that would hurt their feelings, but he showed absolute disapproval of what they were doing through this. And if you look in the Arabic dictionary, you will find these meanings fit exactly in what, what he said. Now, there's a significant part of this ayah, which I have to say to you is, the Quran says, فَإِنْ أَطَعْنَكُمْ فَلَا سَبِيلًا That if they start to obey you, then you have no way of rebuking them or to go back and dig in the past. They remember you? Like once they've obeyed you and they're back to you, back to normal. Don't start picking a bone of something that's happened in history. Don't say, I remember this, you did this in the past, and now again you started to disobey me. The Quran has put a total stop to this. Because if you, if you cut up uh, wounds of the past, then you will cause uh, a lot of, uh, you'll cause a great crisis in, in your own household. Then after this Allah says that if you still can't get together, then there's the, the level of diplomacy. Meaning that, If you still fear that they can't stay together, and there's going to be separation between the two, then Then call a diplomat from his side of the family, and a diplomat from her side of the family, or it doesn't have to be from the family, it can be from outside. That two diplomats should get together, and these two should be well aware of the situation, should be good at reconciling, and they should get together and try and bring them together. If after that they can't bring them together, then Allah says, that they have to look for a last, last resort, which is Abghatul Halal Indallah at Talaq. That the, the most hated of lawful things in the sight of Allah is, is Talaq, which is, which is divorce. The most hated thing of lawful things. Um, just to quote to you one hadith, um, just before I, I end, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Holy Quran, in chapter number 4 that if you dislike something of your women of a certain characteristic that they have then maybe you dislike one thing but Allah will put a lot of plenty of good in other things the hadith to support that the Prophet says that if there, if there is uh, something which you dislike of, of a woman in radiya if you like, if you dislike something, there's something else you, you like. So look at the positive side of women and move on from there. Now, here we end the talk. With regards to the Prophet ﷺ showing disapproval of Ali radiallahu anhu marrying another woman while he was married to Fatima. Some ulama point to the fact that the Prophet ﷺ did mention that the reason why he disapproved this fact was because Ali radiallahu anhu proposed to a daughter of one of the leaders of Makkah who was an enemy of Allah and because it would affect the Prophet ﷺ within Medina and the Prophet ﷺ would have to have a relation with one of these enemies of Allah. Therefore, he expressed his disapproval in a statement of his that his daughter and a daughter of a kafir would not come together in one household. Jazakumullah.